0: very warm well. welcome to Community Barge, London's only closing in church. special welcome if this is your first time. And welcome to this, uh, what we call, a one thing in common event where we have a special guest. Uh, we get these guests in from different uh, lines of work, different backgrounds, different types of people. But one thing in common, which is their faith in Jesus Christ. And then uh, today, after the interview, we're going to have a talk on his belief in Jesus delusional. Our special guest today is uh, CEO at m and g Fixed Income. He manages a pot of some £155 billion and manages <coughs> a staff of some 280. And uh, Would you please welcome Simon Pilcher. <laughs> Simon, thank you very much for making time in what I understand is the busiest month of the year for you. Uh, £155 billion, we thought it must be a typo, but I mean, that's the GDP of a a country like Portugal or Iraq or something like I mean, is that a lot of money in your line of work or is this just normal?
1: Um, no, we're pretty big in the context of the UK, um, Europe. We're one of the largest fixed income managers. Um, there aren't yeah, there aren't many larger than us, although yeah, if you compare us to the sort of the global giants, the, the Black Rocks and we're pretty pathetically small by comparison with them. What does a
0: uh, CEO energy um, get up to on an average day? So what sort of things do you do? Uh, what do you like about your job what's
1: not so great about your job? So by background, I'm an investor, but um, I don't actually run any money myself um, these days. My job really is about um, managing people, um, deciding strategy, uh, the sorts of uh, products that we're going to be taking to market, those sorts of things. And uh, frankly, my, my day-to-day job is about um, creating an environment in which uh, the business can thrive. So creating a culture which people want to be part of, creating an environment in which um, people can actually do the job in which which they're best at. Um, and, yeah, I really, I mean, I enjoy managing people. Um, people are, well, people are complex. People are a heck of a lot more complex than money. Uh, they, they answer back. They get bullshy, those sorts of things. So um, that can be frustrating, but it's ultimately... Very satisfying when you can create uh, a team that operates as a team and and you can see them thriving and enjoying each other. And bonds are very much your thing and always have been through your whole career. What was the attraction of these things? Uh, Well, I guess it's a fair question these days, given uh, there isn't much yield on most of them. Um, I I started work um, and uh, joined with two other guys. Stuart spoke fluent French, he was given French equities. Mike had a history degree or something useful, and so he got Japanese equities, and I had a sort of a mathsy, economics nerdy sort of background. So I uh, got given the world of nerdery, and um, I-, I think bonds are fantastic. They are so exciting and interesting, and I could talk about them all day. <laughs> Moving on swiftly, uh, <laughs> our, our team is the, uh, the
0: proud owner of the fixed income Manager of the year, Awards currently. Um, Could you just tell us, and your mum friends here, and we won't tell anyone else, what's the secret of success in this work?
1: I think the the key thing is make sure there are enough award ceremonies that everyone gets at least one. <laughs> um, I think we've been successful because we're we're clear about what we do and what we don't do. We're very clear about where we think our uh, expertise lies. and um, and we want to be super nerdy about those things that we think that that pay dividends from being super nerdy about. Um, uh, But I guess fundamentally it's about ensuring that the good people stay and the good people thrive and about hiring the right people and and creating the environment for them. For me, then, to to bask in their reflected glory, which is is really the, the secret to management sure you've learned that, haven't you, Marcus? <laughs> yeah.
0: um, in 1993, uh, you quit your job at Morgan Grenfell Asset Management, and you worked for two years uh, for a church in the city. Uh, what on earth was going on there? Why did you do that?
1: Well, the key thing uh, was the opportunity to work with you at that time. Thank you. <laughs> um, now, I, I'd worked for a number of years in the world of fund management, um, I guess I was doing reasonably well, but my conviction was and is that, um, that there are far more th- important things in life than managing other people's money, um, and that telling people about the Lord Jesus is uh, is far more important. And I thought that, um, that it was worth investing some time uh, effectively in an apprenticeship for me, working out if I had the necessary skills to do that job. Uh, at the end of two years... Um, the people who I knew best and respect, uh, who I respect said to me, mm, yeah, you could do this. You'd be a bit dull. Sorry, chaps, you've all come to listen to me. Um, You'd be a bit dull, but um, yeah, you could do it. Whereas they told you that you had to do it. Um, and so, <laughs> so I... <laughs> 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 and, and so my conviction then is, look, um, let me go back to being a part-time Pastor, part-time encourager, part-time evangelist, um, in work and at home, and uh, let's, yeah, let's let those who've got better giftings being involved in in explaining about Jesus on a more permanent basis.
0: And we're about the same age. So I'll leave you to judge you, which career path has been the most stressful. <laughs> so fact, one newspaper article I reading about you uh, was headed. Pilcher shows faith across the credit divide, and uh, to the Christian faith, uh, it, uh, it said this Pilcher's faith runs deep. Tell us more, what's the what's the story of your Christian faith? Thank you.
1: So I, um, I I grew up in a in a church going family. Um, we went to church. It's what you did. It, I, I guess I I'm a bit rude about it. I call it uh, middle classianity. There isn't much of it around these days, but, but, but back then, that's what you did. Um, I went to church every Sunday. You sort of took a deep breath, survived an hour, came out. It had all washed over you. Um, anyway, when I was in my teens, um, I think I was about the most arrogant teenager you will ever meet. Um, and you've probably met some quite arrogant people, many of you. Uh, I seriously thought that the biggest problem with the world was that no one was as nice as me. And I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, that that was my serious worldview. Anyway, as a a teenager, I was sent on a Christian holiday camp, um, and I had a fantastic time, really enjoyed the time there. There I heard um, that that I was a rebel, that I was somebody who'd ignored God, that I was somebody who'd turned my back on him and lived as if he didn't exist, and that God was very cross about this, um, that you know, if you treated your mother like that, then she rightly would be cross too if you blanked her. Uh, But this was clearly far more serious because it was God. And I was told that, that God loved me so much that he sent his son to die in my place, that he took the punishment that I deserved, and that all I had to do was put my trust in him, and I could become friends with God again. So, uh, and frankly, that all washed over me as well. Um, I was taken out for a cream tea by one of the room leaders, and, and he'd given up a week, and, you know, he was a normal worker, he was a barrister, he'd given up a week, actually 10 days, uh, to come and work unpaid, uh, looking after toe rags like me. And, um, and I'd had a fantastic week, fantastic 10 days, and he asked me what I'd made of the, of the talks that I'd heard. And, and I knew what answer he wanted to hear. Had I put my trust in the Lord Jesus, I knew what answer he wanted to hear. So I gave it to him. He said, that's fantastic news, Simon. When did that happen? So the lies just multiplied, as I, and I got ever more deep in. And um, that night, for the first time in my life, I had to admit to myself and to God that I was not this nice person that I thought I was, and that I did need God's forgiveness. So that—that that was me as a 15-year-old, and really, it, it sort of began there. And How would you say your
0: faith has changed, developed, been challenged over the years since?
1: So, um, particularly in my later teens, I think I wanted to uh, to run away from uh, from Christianity, from God. I, I, didn't, I found um, I found some of the uh, some of the teaching challenging, uh, and I can distinctly remember packing my bag to go to Australia as an 18-year-old uh, for six months and deliberately not taking a Bible with me. Um, God was very gracious to me, kept uh, putting Christians in front of me. Uh, and I suppose over that time, I spent a lot of time thinking about, was it really true? Uh, what is the, what is the um, historical credentials uh, for Christianity? I trained as a geologist, I had to therefore think through a lot of those sorts of science and religion type of questions, um, and, uh, but I think that sort of the day-to-day real challenge for me now is, is much less intellectual, uh, much more of a moral one, uh, and it really boils down to, am I living for life now, is this all that there is, or am I um, consciously thinking that, uh, that in a sense the best is yet to come, and that the world that I should really be living for is the world uh, that uh, Jesus has prepared for me when I die. And, and so that perspective, living with eternity in perspective, and and sitting sort of loose to uh, to this world, is is honestly the bigger challenge.
0: And how does that pan out with the challenge of uh, money? So uh, you were uh, quite a lot.
1: Um, more than you, I think. Than, yes. uh, how, the Bible says that the love of
0: money is a reasonable kind of evil. But uh, how have you sort of kept yourself from the love of money over the years?
1: Um, I think the honest answer to that is it's a battle. It's difficult. Um, the second answer to that is is I've got a great, godly, wise wife who um, who uh, who beats sense into me. Um, the the third answer is um, try not to be too attached to it. I mean, I do earn far more than I need. Um, there's no problem earning money. It's really what is your attitude towards that money. And and I will evidence that I don't love money if, if I'm quick to give it away. So uh, I'm in a position to fund um, a fair bit of Christian work. And, and frankly, I think that's a great place for my money to go. So try not to be too attached to it. Uh,
0: how do you keep a balance in life between you know, various things, work, and... and- Family life, you've got five kids, is it? And uh, church
1: life and so on. How have you managed to do that over the years? Uh, prioritization. Um, I think you, you make time, you can, you can tell what's important for you by looking at your diary. Your diary will reveal what, what you really value. And so I'm pretty disciplined at making sure that work remains within reasonable bounds. Uh, I'm very happy to work hard when I'm at work, but I don't want work to, to be my life. And so I need to get home, I need to love my wife, I need to spend time with my children, um, and I need to be committed to serving at church. Uh, and if I'm not, because work's taking over, well, alarm bells should be going off.
0: And when you're actually at work, uh, working hard, how does your faith make a difference to how you go back to the job, how you treat and so on? let
1: give us
0: some examples of that.
1: Um, Small things and big things. Small things. um, How you treat people. Uh, Jesus is clear that that I should be treating all people um, as I would want to be treated myself, whether they're significant in the world's eyes or not. Um, uh, Honesty. Um, I must not lie. I must be straight. I must be straight in all of my dealings, office politics, those sorts of things. Uh, so, yes, I want to be a good employee. Yes, I want to give of my best to the firm. Um, I, think, I think the firm's done all right. Um, but, I, but it's how I conduct myself that is more important than what I achieve.
0: And in terms of uh, the message of Jesus, you're clearly passionate about people knowing that. Uh, Do you share that message of work with people, and other times do you think it's appropriate or not appropriate?
1: Yeah. So, uh, I'd love to have more opportunities to share my faith with colleagues. I do have opportunities. Um, The appropriate time is not in the middle of the board meeting. Um, You know, it tends to be when you're traveling with colleagues, uh, when you're... uh, having a drink after work. Um, It may be that something's come up in their life and they then want to talk with me about it. Um, Yeah, a a, a good number of opportunities, but but what I'm very keen to ensure I don't do is abuse the position of power that I've got in that area. So if people come to me and want to talk, fantastic. Um, I'll sort of cast flies, so to speak, and if they rise... And, and, and the trout rises, then, then then we'll have the conversation. But you know, backing someone into a corner and telling them that they're going to talk God with me, I don't do that.
0: Yeah. In terms of stress in your work, presumably, does it quite stressful at times? Does your faith in Jesus make a difference? How you cope with that, do you think?
1: Um, y- yes, very definitely so, because my status, my significance is not bound up in... In my job title, it's not. It's not found in my bank balance. It's not um, involved in. In you know who I who I am in the city. My status is secure as uh, as a much loved son of God. I don't know why he loves me, just so that he does love me. Um, he loves me because he loves me. No, nothing about me that's lovely. So yeah, when financial crises come, um, yeah, I, I may lose my job. I, I may. I, my savings may disappear, um, but I think I can sit looser to that than than if I weren't a Christian.
0: We could go on and ask lots of more questions. I'm conscious time is, uh, is running on, so we're going to hand over to Simon now. He's going to speak about this topic of uh, this question, is Christian <coughs> Jesus delusional?
1: Okay, so you've you've got a copy um, of uh, the passage that I'm going to uh, to eventually get to um, inside, um, inside your... Uh, Blue sheet, Yeah. Um, Let let me read it. Um, So this is from John's account of Jesus' life. Towards the end, Jesus is dead, and uh, actually reports have started coming through that Jesus is alive again, having died on the cross. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus and one of the Twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands... Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the title I've taken is, is is belief in Jesus delusional? And in one sense, it's quite a provocative title. And in another sense, I don't think it is at all because I think that's what many people think. Many people think that, frankly, um, belief in Jesus is of the same order as belief in the tooth fairy um, and sorry if this is you um, because you are deluded if you do think that Santa comes with presents uh, with a a reindeer called Rudolph pulling his sleigh and he comes down your chimney on Christmas Eve. That is delusional thinking And many people think that Christianity is of that same ilk. But um, I'm going to say a very bold statement and then back it up. Jesus is a figure of history. Jesus, if you are remotely historically literate, is a figure of history. So if I can quote from Wikipedia, uh, reporting on uh, Tacitus, a Roman historian, brackets, not a Christian, as you'll see when I quote him. uh, Wikipedia say... Um, that it is firmly established that Tacitus provides a non-Christian confirmation of the crucifixion of Jesus. Um, so let, let me read you a bit of what Tacitus wrote. Tacitus was writing about the events uh, surrounding the the date when Rome burnt in 64 AD, and uh, Nero fiddled when Rome burnt. You may be familiar with that accusation. I'm not sure he did actually play the fiddle, but um, uh, but Nero... Uh, emperor of of Rome, um, then looked for a scapegoat. And this is what Tacitus writes. Consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate, uh, and then he goes on. So, according to Tacitus, Jesus uh, died uh, under Tiberius, the emperor, while Pontius Pilate was uh, procurator of Judea, as is recorded in the Bible, and uh, th- therefore, we have an independent witness, contemporary witness, of Jesus' death uh, on the cross. And, and I could also quote to you from Josephus, who was also not a Christian, a, a Roman, Jewish, a historian from around the same sort of time who gives similar sorts of testimony. And, and what we also know from what Tacitus says is that by 30 years after Jesus' death, we've got a large population of Christians in Rome, which is about a 1,000 or so miles away from, from Jerusalem. So what Tacitus wrote was... Um, uh, An arrest was first made of all who pleaded guilty. Then, upon their information, an immense multitude was convicted, not so much of the crime of firing the city as of hatred against mankind. He's writing about Christians. You can tell Tacitus doesn't really like Christians, Um, but there's an immense multitude of them in Rome uh, within 30 years of Jesus' death. So something remarkable has happened during that period for that to have occurred. So Jesus is the figure of history, but the real question is, who is Jesus? Who was Jesus? Um, Christians say that Jesus is God, that he is God, the creator of the universe, come to this earth, and that he came in order to rescue mankind. Uh, But that's not what other people will say. Many people will say that Jesus was was just a good teacher. He He said some amazing things. If we all lived his way, then the world would be a better place. And uh, and by the way, I think that is true. If we all lived his way, then the world would be a better place because Jesus said such outrageous things as love your enemies, Uh, treat all people as you would want to be treated. And Jesus lived it out himself. He wasn't a sort of stuck-up religious prig who just hung out with the nice guys. He made time for, uh, for uh, for the downbeaten, for the prostitutes. He even made time for the sort of uh, uh, morally repugnant banker class of his day. Sorry, I, I, that was desperately rude of me. Um, the morally repugnant fund manager class of his day. And um, what I want, though, to say is that Jesus's teaching didn't stop there. What Jesus said was utterly inconsistent with him being... Uh, just a good teacher. Because Jesus claimed to be God. Jesus claimed to be able to forgive sin. <coughs> Jesus said that he would sit in judgment on all people at the end of time. And those claims are not consistent with Jesus being a good teacher. They might be consistent with some sort of deluded nutter, somebody who's sort of a bit short on, uh, short-changed on, up here. And they might be consistent with someone who's a sort of egotistical evil uh, psychopath who's trying to delude people into following him and perhaps take all their money off them. Plenty of those around. But the evidence that I then want to go on and look at is, is not just what Jesus said, but what he did, because he did things that were consistent with his claims. He performed feats that are utterly impossible for men and women to do. So he raised several people from the dead. A man who had been born blind was given his sight. A man who had been uh, born, who had been paralysed since birth, was enabled to walk in an instant. A deaf mute man, who had never heard anything, was enabled to speak. Utterly impossible. You cannot do that. And that's Jesus. But the most shocking thing I want to suggest is that uh, Jesus predicted his own death. He explained that he had to die, that it was his purpose for coming to earth. He predicted his own death, and he also predicted his own resurrection, that he would come back to life again. And he made those claims clearly and several times in front of his disciples. And whilst we've got independent evidence for his crucifixion, the question then is what evidence have we got for his resurrection? And that's where my friend Thomas comes in. Doubting Thomas, who uh, is a personal hero of mine because he is skeptical. He is naive. Sorry, he's not naive, is he? He's not remotely naive. When someone tells him something that is patently impossible, he says, that's rubbish. That cannot be so. I refuse to believe you. You've seen Jesus? Ten of you are claiming you've seen Jesus even though he's dead? Pull the other one. What he says is, uh, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Well, things then get rather embarrassing for Thomas because in the room appears Jesus and Jesus says to him, well, look, you know, here are the hands, here's the side, that's where the spear has been thrust in. Come on, Thomas put your finger in there, put your fist in here, stop doubting and believe. Thomas is presented with overwhelming evidence that completely holds him below the waterline. His prior convictions have been blown away. Now, I don't know what you do when you um, perhaps have held deeply entrenched views and suddenly new evidence comes to light that causes you to doubt those views. Let me give you an example, a personal example. Until extremely recently, I was very firmly of the view that it was impossible for bonds to have a negative yield. These things not only do not happen, they cannot happen. But earlier this year, I was looking at my Bloomberg and I saw, and I know there are a number of people from Thom- Thomson Reuters here, we all know that Bloomberg is garbage. But I read on my Bloomberg, I saw on the screen that five year government bonds for Switzerland and Germany were negative. And do you know what? The next day, the garbage that I've got on my screen uh, in the office said that Finland and Austria bonds were also negative. And the following day, it was true for Netherlands and France. And then some of my fund managers started telling me that they'd bought bonds with a negative yield. And the traders who'd executed the trades on their behalf confirmed it. Well, i fired a lot of them because it's obviously not true. It can't be true. Bond yields cannot be negative. Thomas has one of those events. And he has no option but to revise his thinking. And what Thomas says is, well, my Lord and my God, Jesus... I basically have to get down on my knees and worship you because you are the creator of the universe and you're not only the creator of the universe, you are my God. What we have here are eyewitness accounts of Jesus' resurrection. You can read four or five different accounts within John's Gospel. If you uh, choose to go to Luke's Gospel the Acts of the Apostles and one of the letters, there are at least uh, 10 different events where Jesus was seen on one occasion by 500 people at the same time after he had been killed. He ate with them, he walked with them, he talked with them. This was no ghost. And so the evidence from that I find compelling. But I want to leave you with one final thought because some people have said, well, look, um, frankly, it, it's all a delu- it, it's all um, concocted stories. These people created a lie. They then lived that lie for the rest of their lives. But we've already seen from Tacitus that these Christians were subjected to the most appalling torture. And they were willing to go through that because they were believing in the truth. And... It's put most eloquently by a man called Charles Colson. Charles Colson um, was uh, the first person to go to prison in relation to the Watergate scandal in the early 1970s. He worked for President Nixon, he was his right-hand hatchet man. And uh, Colson says this: "I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Jesus' death was the best thing that has happened in the history of the universe. It is the most significant event. And because of his death, I can be friends with God. I have status, significance. I am astonishingly privileged to be his son. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And Jesus' resurrection seals the deal. It is the evidence the critical piece of evidence that proves that what Jesus claimed was true. Christianity falls or stands on this point. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, Christianity is garbage. Marcus, you're wasting your time. It is utter tosh. But if Jesus was raised from the dead, then you have to take seriously what he came to do. And you've got to know this man, and you've got to put your trust in him. So as a parting thought, can I encourage you to investigate further? If these things are new to you, can I encourage you, there are um, some little booklets of John's testimony, which this is taken from on the table at the back. Um, There are some excellent books that um, I didn't tell Marcus to put on here, but I completely uh, recommend them, that are on here. If science is your thing, John Lennox, um, really outstanding book. John, I think, not only says that science is compatible with Christian belief, actually he says that the scientific evidence leads you to the conclusion that there must be a creator. Strongly recommend that book. Um, If you're less nerdy than me, The Reason for God, Tim Keller, a really helpful read. So, um, thank you for listening. Marcus, I think you've got a few things you want to say. I'll shut up and sit down.
0: Just to say, on the front of your sheets as well, uh, details of things coming up. So Christianity Explored as a course for those who want to find out more by going through Mark's Gospel. You can sign up for that or get further information, filling in the response card. Festival of Thought, this is a week of events happening at lunchtime and evenings throughout the Wharf, different companies, but open to everyone. Towards the end of February. It's called the Festival of Thought. So more details in due course, but just have uh, that on your radar. And then our regular lunchtime talks begin again next week and the details are there. It's called God's Survival Manual, so please do come back for that. We send out a weekly reminder email telling you what's going on. If you want to receive that and other information about the bars, so do just leave your details. Just remains for me to say a very big thank you to you for coming and a special thank you to Simon for giving his lunchtime and being with us here today. Thank you.